witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Dr. Kelly Goss, how you doing, girl? I'm doing good. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you guys this evening. Hey, oh. everybody. What's up? You know, I'm so excited. I mean, I know when we originally we sat down and we kind of talked about the show and thank mm-hmm. you to Erica for connecting us. It was just like, you know, I try to claim to know a lot about a lot of topics, but this is one of the topics I just didn't know much about. Right. So as I began to, you know, dig into this, I just had my OMG moment. Right. That I was mm-hmm. like, I know that everything is crazy going on in society, but man. It's like there is no safe haven, but I would love for, if you don't mind, just introducing yourself, you know, telling people a little bit about you, who you are, your background, and your origin story, right? So you can wrap all that up in one, but, you know, let's get started with, you know, just let us know who you are. Thank you again for the invitation, and thank you, um, especially to Erica, for connecting us. I'm Kelly Goss. I am an Army brat who was also a soldier who married a soldier and we settled down here in Atlanta and we've been here now for a little bit more than 15 years. And um, I am, what am I mostly? I'm a Sagittarius. I like thrift shopping. I like traveling with my family and um, I like hanging out with friends. Um, I like good food. I'm a foodie. Um, and I'm a previvor. And a lot of people don't know what a previvor is. And that's one of the reasons that I'm here to share with you all tonight. So I um, have never had cancer, but my mother and my sister um, have had breast cancer. My mother's had breast cancer twice. And based on the, my genetic testing results, I decided to have a pre- preventive mastectomy and hysterectomy to make sure that I didn't get cancer. And so I'd love to share a little bit more about my story with you all, but that's kind of the overarching picture. You know, thank you um, for sharing that. And I know when we first sat down, I, I just was like, wow. And I remember thinking, as you told the story, you're like, you know, I think it was like, hey, you know, I'm going through this. And I'm like, is this going to be the month? Is this going to be the month? You know, yes. no, I'm high risk. Is this going to be the month? And all I could imagine yes. is the amount of stress mm-hmm. a person would yes. go through just waking up every day, knowing that mm-hmm. in your family, you have these things. And then, you know, it, I, so then I started some research, right? And I decided mm-hmm. to, look in, because, you know, I'm one of the person I kind of watch TV and I was like, oh, I think there's a lot of organizations doing things. You got pink things everywhere, right? You got right. pink drills. You got pink football helmets. Right. I think everything's right. okay. But mm-hmm. then I began to step into the story. And I discovered yes. for the black community and for black women, it's not always that case. But, you know, okay. I would love to hear about your biggest fears on yeah. what I would consider. I'm calling it your breast cancer journey. You know, mm-hmm. you, know you know, you are a previvor. But, you mm-hmm. know, because and it's really going to come together. But tell us about some of your greatest fears on your journey. Of course. And so I'm so glad that you mentioned that because what you're saying is absolutely true. So my mother had breast cancer the first time when I was in college. And so 
uh, it wasn't um, like the way that it is now. So I was almost um, separated from my family in a way because, you know, now we have social media, we have FaceTime. It's easy for people to connect, um, not to tell you all my age, but back then there was none of that. And so my parents really shielded me a lot of what my mother was going through. So I felt almost isolated. And so, you know, because I didn't know what was going on and my mother is the center, the nucleus of our family, and I couldn't really fathom everything that she was going through. And they would tell me bits and pieces. So it's like your imagination just really plays tricks on you. And so I imagined the worst. So whatever you think breast cancer is, imagine someone in college that couldn't really have, couldn't really communicate thinking the worst, whatever the worst was, triple that. And so that was kind of my existence. And because my mother is truly the glue that holds our family together, I worried about that. And so fast forward to when I have my own kids, I'm out, I'm about, I'm doing things, I'm in the army. Um, I was worried about my own um, bout with breast cancer because I figured, you know, if my mom had it, it's likely that I'll have it. And for those of you, um, what I'm saying is not, um, you know, you all know this when you go to your doctor, they ask you your medical history and you have to share with them that mama, grandmama, big mama, all of them had A, B and C. And so it kind of defines who you are in terms of your medical history, because that's the underlying information that they have. And so that's how I live my life. And so every month I would sometimes do myself breast exams, but likely not because my mother found her um, lumps um, with self-breast exam. So I was always so worried about what I would find. And so that was my life. I was just waiting on breast cancer to find me. I was waiting on my chance at breast cancer, almost like a rites of passage, right? Because that's how it is. Well, my aunt had it and my mom had it. So sure, I'm going to have it. So I'll just wait for my turn. And that's pretty much the existence that I lived for several, several years. Um, my mother got breast cancer again. And the situation was much different. You know, now we could communicate. I was older. I could fly in to see her. I could um, help and aid her and walk her through the process. And I was still crippled with fear. Like I was still so afraid of losing her, of figuring out what that meant for me and my breast cancer journey, whatever that looked like. And so, yeah, so everything that you said is absolutely true. The fear just really crippled me. And so because I didn't do a very good job of doing my self-breast exams every year, I did do a very, very good job of making sure that I got my annual mammograms to the point where, you know, um, the American Cancer Society says that you're not supposed to get your mammogram before you, before the age of 40. And I fought with um, my insurance provider to make sure that based on my medical history, I got mammograms earlier than that. I think I got my first mammogram when I was 33, but it wasn't something that I, yeah, sure, we'll give you a mammogram. Like, I'm telling you that my mom has had breast cancer twice and you're still telling me that I had to wait until I'm 40. So one of the lessons, if you don't take away anything from what, I, what I'm saying this evening is we certainly as Black women have to advocate for ourselves. Black women get breast cancer less, but we die more. And there are a lot of varying factors because of that. You know, a lot of times as Black women, we are kind of the tent poles that hold everything together. We, you know, give to ourselves last, right? And so I may not go to the doctor because I have A, B, and C that I need to get done. I'm just going to put that off for a little bit longer. And that's, I'm 
speaking for Kelly, so I don't want to tell anyone else's stories, but I was speaking for me. A lot of times I will put myself last to, to make sure that everybody else is okay. And so because we do that sometimes, um, and it's done so often that many times when Black women find out that they are actually um, have breast cancer, it's um, not as treatable. And so that's why even though we get breast cancer less, we are dying more from breast cancer. So I know that that was a long roundabout way. Thank thank you for sharing that because, you know, it's all a part of the story. And as I'm listening, I'm I'm thinking about those times, right? Those moments of fears. It seems like you're probably in your 20s when you first started Mm -hmm. thinking about that. And I can imagine you, like you said, you know, speaking with doctors, they're not really taking you seriously, but really yeah. advocating for yourself. And I can just think about that the whole true. process of, you know, things may have changed, you know, a few years later, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's like, you still have to advocate for yourself, you, you know, your history. You know, recently, you know, I love watching, you know, current events and just what yesterday, um, mm-hmm. it was announced that a WNBA player um, mm-hmm. was lost. And mm-hmm. she was 37 years old. Right. So I began to kind of look into her story. And as I looked into her story, she was 37. But mm-hmm. she first discovered her lump when she was playing in a championship, mm-hmm. but chose not to really tell anyone mm-hmm. because she was competing. That thing, right. you know, that strength, right? Mm-hmm. In addition to when she finally got around to tell people, it was, she said, a group text message. Mm-hmm. And a group text message because she was just so, so, so overwhelmed. Right. So it, it's real, right? 37, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very real. So one of the things that you share with me that I really appreciate is the story about how, well, you call it, I miss real hugs, right? And I mm-hmm. love that statement because it's one of the things that people just really can't really even fathom. Tell us mm-hmm. about this concept, this thing that you wrote about when you began to say you miss real hugs. What is that about? Yeah. Yeah. So based on the results of my gen- genetic testing, I had a 75% chance of having breast cancer and an 80% chance of having um, ovarian cancer within my lifetime. And so once I knew the results of what my genetic test, like a because like, like I was sharing with you before, I always kind of had, okay, my mom had it, so I'll probably get it. But once I knew what those numbers were, that made it more real. And so once I decided to have my um, mastectomy and hysterectomy, so I'll just focus on the mastectomy. So once I decided to have my mastectomy, I was very, very conflicted because as a woman, there's so much tied to my breasts, right? I you know, nurse my daughter with my breasts. It's the thing that people see when I walk into a door. It's the thing that makes me feel, you know, like me in a lot of ways. And so I really would struggle with whether or not to um, to have a mastectomy. Um, and people were very vocal about whether or not that was a good idea. And so I felt even more conflicted about the idea about whether or not it was the right thing to do. And so what happens after I had my surgery, You, um, I came home completely flat chested. And so what happens after that is you get these um, things are called expanders and expanders to me, I describe them like a balloon. And so I come home completely flat chested, but with expanders. And with the expanders, I go back to the doctor every three weeks, four weeks, 
to get my new breasts like blown up. And so they puff you up and they puff you up until you get to the desired size that um, that works with your body type and that your skin can kind of manage. And so with expanders, they're like rocks. Like, like when someone leans, in, leans into you, it's like rocks. Even now, even though now I have, um, I'm on the other side of the expander phase and I have um, my implants, I'm always very uncomfortable with people hugging me because I always wonder, can they tell? Do they know that I have implants? Because, you know, when you are um, brushing yourself up against somebody's bosoms or getting close to somebody, like, there's a special, like there's, you know, like big mama's bosoms, like there's, that's a special sacred place. And so I always worry that people can tell that I'm different somehow and that there is something noticeably um, changed about me. So I'm very self-conscious about that. So yeah, I miss real hugs because now hugs don't provide the same comfort that they did before because I'm always worried that when I hug people, can they tell? Wow. I mean, just speechless at the the thought of that, of, like you said, you know, an experience from Mm -hmm. your whole life, right? Like you said, you know, you have children, so, you know, and you nurse Mm -hmm. your children. It's like, you know, I mean, just no words can explain it. You know, Mm -hmm. I began to do research. I began to realize that sometimes people just say some, let's say stupid Mm -hmm. things, things that are unkind, stuff like, Mm -hmm. well, at least you got, you know, a breast implant or a boob job Mm -hmm. or whatever. Have people said like stupid, crazy stuff like that to you? Yes, that is like the number one thing that is said. And so, you know, at least you got a free boob job out of it. Um, Mastectomy is not the same. Like like when I, I, I shared with you all, like I came home completely flat chested, like because they took out, um, everything. (laughs) And so I came home completely flat chested and I had to be totally reconstructed. And so that's certainly different from, from uh, a mastectomy is different from reconstructive surgery because with reconstruction, you know, you build up from something. And so I having a mastectomy is like starting from scratch. If I can um, describe it that way, because you're, you're, it's like building from the top up, you know, you know, with reconstruction, you at least have something. If I'm going to, you know, I have boobs and maybe add something to it to make to enhance it. But a mastectomy is totally different. It's a, it's a totally different experience. Um, as a matter of fact, my surgery was um, 12 hours long with three different surgeons. And so um, it's a totally different experience. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, my God, like, did I make the right decision? But now, four years later, looking back at everything, like there's no other decision that I could have made. Because, again, like I shared with you, once I knew the numbers, it was almost inevitable. And I really felt like it was the best decision for me. Now, it may not be the best decision for everyone else. And again, it's not a decision that I made independently. It's one that I made collectively with my family. We talked about it um, because... um, because I knew that I, I had this 75% chance of breast cancer, there are different options that are offered. I could have done advanced screening. And so what that means is I get my mammogram more regularly. Um, I get an MRI twice a year. So that way they can take a more proactive approach and try to, even if I were to get breast cancer, they would likely catch it earlier because I would be more, I would be doing a more robust 
um, surveillance to try to make sure that they catch it early. So, um, but I decided that that was still live like living my life in fear. And so I didn't think that that was the best route for me, but it may very well be the best route for someone else. But um, I'm grateful for where I am now. And I'm thankful that I made the decision that I did. Well, you know, um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I remember um, when we first kind of chatted, I was kind of thinking about the fear, the stress, the anxiety, the mental health. But then as I started reading and doing some research, I began to really understand the world of cancer. And in the world of cancer, what I concluded in my words is that it's still quite primitive medicine. And this one lady said, she said she was 41 and she essentially um, went through six weeks of um, radiation. And mm -hmm. then, and she went through all of the weird things, weird experiences, people treating her different, people, you know, um, really flirting with her more because all of a sudden now she's this object, right? And all of a sudden, after six months of uh, chemo, then she does, you know, this outpatient surgery and she's back to work like in two weeks. And what she says is that if she lived another 41 years, she still don't feel that she would feel like she's healed from that six months of trauma that her body went through. I love that story. I love that testimony because mm -hmm. she began to share just how gruesome it can be and how horrible and how lonely it can be. Simple mm -hmm. things like, oh, you beat cancer. You're so strong. And she's like, I don't feel like I'm strong. I don't feel like I'm anything different right. than the next person. I was lucky. And mm -hmm. it was like all of the stigma and even the national organizations that are supposed to be supporting the women, the the, the, the women who are experiencing these things may even seem like they're more focused on the pinks and the colors and the, mm -hmm. the, the, the pink helmets and stuff like that. And I was like, mm -hmm. it's one thing to go through the emotional thing, right. the fear and the stress, but who would want to subject themselves to that mm -hmm. world of capitalist medicine, excuse me, get a little political, that mm -hmm. just doesn't seem like it's all together. So as I begin to that, I begin to really honor your decision in a different way, because all I could do is read about it and try to understand. Mm -hmm. But OMG, what a moment. I would like to kind of talk about the risks, right? And mm -hmm. just just the facts. You also kind of wrote about, you know, some of the just the facts. If you don't mind breaking down for us, when it comes to breast cancer, what are the risks? And what are these nuances of black women? And I'm glad you mentioned black women are less likely to get breast cancer but more likely to die from it. Mm -hmm. And in Seoul, we tend to pay attention to disparities. And this mm -hmm. disparity simply means is that if one group of people are dying more or essentially not healing the mm -hmm. same as another group of people, then what's up with that? But if you don't mm -hmm. mind sharing with us, you know, some of your thoughts about just the facts of, you know, breast cancer in black women. See, a lot of it too, um to be honest with you, is historical in nature. Um, you know, I'm finding just um, just being surrounded by the breast cancer community is that, that there are like, just, just for, as an example, there are several clinical trials that they think that could move the, um, that, they, that could really um, make an impact on breast cancer. But within these clinical, clinical trials, they can't get Black women to sign up. 
And so I'm just going to go on a limb and say it's likely because we don't trust y'all. Like, (laughs) uh, we saw what happened in Tuskegee and um, we saw what happened with Henrietta Lacks. And we're very, um, we don't trust y'all. So, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. So even though there may be um, progressive, there may be progressive movement out there. um, I won't say the black women are included because I know that they would love to include us in a lot of ways in those different studies, but we just are not having it. Like we, 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 we are having it. And then a lot of times, um, again, just, you know, fly on the wall, listening and hearing the different things is that a lot of times in black families, the, um, the mom is a primary breadwinner. So when mom gets ill or when mom gets sick, that takes money off of the table, or I'm sorry, takes money out of the household and takes food off of the table. Some of these clinical trials that are offered, they want people to participate, but don't offer anything um, for your time or for your trouble. And so what is the benefit to me to help you if there isn't any value for me? Like I've traveled, I've taken three buses to get here and you offered me cold coffee. There's nothing really of value. What, what did I gain out of this? What I'm doing, offering myself trying trial medication or, or exper- experimental, experimental drugs is likely to help somebody else. And so that's good. But how has it, me being here, impacted my family today? And so, you know, they've talked about, I've been in a couple of different rooms where they've talked about possibly, you know, or, and a lot of people will, but most of them are still working towards this, given stipends and, you know, paying for daycare, providing care for children when the mom mom wants to come in or, you know, providing, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, can't think of it, like per diem for people that even have to bring mom to stay with her when she comes to do the care. So, yes, yeah, so I know that that's that's a long answer to say there there's a there's a gap between how black people view medical professionals and where we need to go. You know, thanks for sharing that. Last week we um, had a show um, with a vascular surgeon. And one of the things he's passionate about in his retirement is normalizing not only restorative health, but family medical history. Mm-hmm. And um, as we chatted about that, and Letitia's going to give us a recap of that show, but one of the things I really, really could appreciate is the concept of what it means for our community to get the help they need. Mm-hmm. And I can tell that you are very passionate about this topic, so I'm definitely going to get into Kool-Aid a little bit. Do you have, like, any recommendations or do you think, you know, any suggestions for what we can do as a community to essentially support some of those progressive, you know, trials or things like that? Because I know I can tell that you move in a lot of um, circles within the breast cancer community. Um, is there any consensus or do you have any personal thoughts on what could be done? Yeah, I, I definitely think it, um, the clinical trials need to be widely shared. Um, sometimes, like, like, I, like I said before, it's like they're known, but not... Um, willingly accepted just because just because we aren't there yet and so there could be a um so i don't even think that it's us so much because i really think the onus is on them 
to make us feel like we can trust them to take care of us and to value us, not just to value us and what we're offering, but to value our opinions, to value our bodies, to value our work. Like there's so much more that can be done to make us um, have a level of comfort. And so, um, because the options are out there. And I, I know they're so hungry to, and there's such a void because the clinical trials are there. And I see so many asks from week after week is, do you know any, you know, black females from this range to this range because we would love to have them. But again, the level of onus is on um, these organizations, these hospitals, these medical communities to really establish the trust or rebuild trust um, because that has certainly been broken. And then the other thing I'd like to share is that um, make a concession for those women that would like to have this type of, um, who would like to be a part of, because some people are just um, altruistic in a way of, I love everybody, I wanna help people, I'm going through this, I'm gonna do my best to help everybody. But these are same people that have real life issues and have real life bills. So how can you help them in this moment when they are willing and able to help someone else. And so that's another thing that needs to be explored too. And um, yeah, I just think that, yeah, the onus is on them to, to, to build, to bridge that gap. And I really hope that the medical communities are able to do that in such a way that makes sense and feels good to everybody that's affected. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I wanna just kind of um, describe this BCRA and I just wanna read, mm -hmm. excuse me, read something that um, you wrote. Um, BCRA stands for, you know, breast cancer susceptibility gene. And one thing you've described is everyone has this BC, excuse me, BRCA gene. Mm -hmm. And one from a mother, one from a father. Mm -hmm. And when they function properly, these genes help suppress cancer tumors within us. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. When the BRCA gene mutates, it increases one's likelihood of breast and ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. There are two types of BRCA genes, one BRCA1 and BRCA2. And in your experience, you were positive for the BRCA1 gene mutation. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that because I've heard about, you know, double, triple and nu nuances. Tell us about mm -hmm. the different, the various diagnoses, if you don't mind. Right. So I see that Margaret in the chat talked about um, Angelina Jolie. And to be honest, that is, that's the first time I ever heard about BRCA positive being, having any surgeries to do with that is Angelina Jolie. She's a famous name. She made the surgeries famous. And that's really all that I knew. Like, and I think that I might've heard about that on TV, like some uh, morning television show, but I knew that Angelina Jolie had had the surgeries. And so one of the other questions that um, Margaret asked was, how did that, how was it available to me? So, so my doctor was my primary care physician, thank, thank goodness for him. He recommended that I have this, uh, have genetic testing done um, many, many, many years ago. He gave me the paperwork. He talked me through it. He told me that my likelihood it was possible um, based on my mother having had breast cancer twice and that he thought that it would be a good idea if I got tested. 
So he walked me and talked me through everything, gave me the paperwork. And he was like, I can, I can test you right now. And I was like, mm, no, I got stuff to do. Um, I'll do it my next appointment. I appreciate you telling me about it. This is awesome. I heard about it, right? Angelina Jolie, right? And so it sounded like a good idea, but I wasn't really, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't care. It wasn't a priority. It wasn't a priority. So five years later, I went to another appointment and this was a GYN appointment and a nurse practitioner, she asked me if I wanted to get tested again, reading my family history. And she said, I think that you should get genetically tested. I was like, oh yeah, my primary care physician told me about that. Sounds like a good idea. The Angelina Jolie test, right? And she was like, yeah. And so um, she's like, I can, we can do it right now. I can um, walk you through the steps. And I was like, oh, you talk me through it. I'm good, but I'm in a hurry. And, but I'll get it next time. And so she told me, um, she, so she said, uh, it's only going to take a minute. I was like, oh, but I'm rushing. And she's like, really just two seconds. And then I'll, I'll call you with the results. And so I was like, okay. And I did it. Literally what she said was true. It took two seconds. It was a blood draw. It took less than two seconds. I think I had to walk down the hall to go to the lab. It took two seconds. And she, so because she had told me, I think that she had told me that, oh, she told me they would send me the results in the mail. And then when she called me, I got concerned because why are you calling me when you told me that you would mail me the results? And so I was instantly concerned. And so she said that you should come in. And I instantly got scared. So everything that I was afraid of my whole life was I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think. I couldn't eat. It was instantly realized. I didn't know what BRCA was, BRCA1, BRCA2, BRCA3, 4, 5. I, I got to know anything about it. All I knew was, um, why are you calling me in? Like, why, why are we doing this? You told me you were going to since I went in. And she shared my results with me. She almost like pushed it to me. And she let me read it myself. And I instantly started crying, bald, like bald, like full on crying. And I was so embarrassed. I remember thinking to myself, like, why are you crying? Like, you don't have cancer. Like, this is so weird. Like, why, like, pull yourself together. And, but I think that I was crying and I was so devastated by knowing what the results were. It's because it was almost like the fear being realized. Now it was real. It wasn't just me thinking about it. The numbers made it real. And that was the day that I found out that I was BRCA1 positive. And 75% is, is a, you know, to me, felt like a lot. 75% chance you'll get breast cancer. To me, that felt like a lot. To a lot of other people, it might not, you know, be a lot. But to me, 75%, that's a, that was a lot to me. It was enough for me to feel like I needed to do something differently. Thanks for sharing that. Um... How about misconceptions in the black mm -hmm. community? Do you see any common misconceptions, you know, you know, having now that you've gone through the process and I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure you're more informed than the average person, do you see any consistent or continuous misconceptions out there? I know for myself, it's like when I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do is that everyone that was having like preventative surgeries was white. And so 
I didn't really. So I just instantly was like, okay, this is a white girl thing. This isn't something that black people do. Like, but it made, like, I, I was so conflicted because it made sense to me, but I didn't see me. Like, the first place you go, right, is when anything goes to hell in the Easter basket is you go to Google to try to figure out what's going on. And when I would do the searches, I, um, I didn't see anyone that looked like me. And so even though I'm like, okay, you have a 70 preference, like, that's a lot. Like, you got to do something, right? But I thought that it was like, is it lame? Like, like I really... I really couldn't, you know, when you don't see yourself represented, I just didn't think that it was a decision that was for me until I really just talked with my family. And to be honest with you, there were two things that made me feel like, okay, this is it. You made the right decision. The first being, because when I told my friends about it, and to be honest with you, I kept the people that I told really, really small. Because people, like I told you before, had really strong opinions about what I was doing. Like, why would you do that? Like, you don't have cancer, so why would you get your breast cut off? And, well, if you get cancer, you know, you could just pray about it. God will heal you. God can fix anything. And I believe that I'm God-fearing. My mother's a preacher. My husband's a preacher. I believe that God is a God that can do all things. So then it made me question my faith walk. Like, is God in this? Am I missing God in this season? So that was the first thing. So when I had my surgery or decided to have my surgery, I had three different surgeons that day. My breast surgeon, she came in and she said, um, I really would love it if you would allow me to pray with you before we do your surgery. And that to me was confirmation that God was indeed in it and in control. So that's number one. The second thing that confirmed that I made the right decision is me and my sister are both BRCA1 positive. And my sister, um, we were both tested at the same time. And after we were tested and knew that we were both positive for the BRCA1 gene, my sister got breast cancer. And so seeing my mother go through that, watching one of her daughters go through what she went through, broke my heart. Like literally in half. My mother was a, a shell of herself during that time. When my my sister was going through chemo radiation, I was like the glue that holds our family together that I was telling you guys about was in shambles. Like I, and so I knew that I couldn't watch my mother have another daughter go through breast cancer. I couldn't be the daughter to put her through that again. And that was a second confirmation that I had that I knew that I had made the right decision. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it's, I mean, and oh my, you know, I'm just speechless because, you know, you, you mentioned your sister and I, and I was like, man, it just, it keeps going, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that you said that really um, reminds me of a, a favorite statement is representation matters. Mm-hmm. And I'm never a fan of cliches, but that's one that kind of means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Representation matters. And people are like, what does that even mean? And it's so important that, like you said, if we don't see people who look like us, mm-hmm. who experience these things, then it's easy to be like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a white girl thing, or that's white folks problems or whatever. Yeah. And then, like you said, 
you know, you're God-fearing, you're spiritual. And the fact that that one person chose to pray with you is so, so important because essentially they were communicating mm -hmm. in a language that was important to you. Mm -hmm. But I could only imagine how lonely that journey was of going through these experiences and not seeing anyone yeah. who can be like, oh, girl, you know, I went through it and I made it. A, you know, I can only imagine support groups where people look differently and you can't even talk to anybody who gets it. Right. Yeah, that is the truth. I, I love that you said that because that was a very very real emotion and it was isolating it, it felt like I was on an island by myself and I didn't know who I could talk to about it that would understand and then it's almost like um you want support I mean because it's it's a very real you're having a major surgery so just take out the whole breast cancer thing or breast have, but a major surgery where you're going to be put under, that's already a worry in itself. But to know that you're having surgery to prevent cancer, but you don't have cancer. And so it was, it was, it was lonely. It was isolating. And um, I kept my circle very, very small for that reason. And I surrounded myself with people that could feed into me. Because at the, by the end of it, before this, I was just depleted. I was tired of explaining to people why I thought it was a good, good decision. Like I was tired of having to validate the rationale. Like it was, I was done. It was exhausting. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, I, I like the fact that you surrounded yourself with sisterhood, right? Mm -hmm. I can tell, you know, I reached out to um, one of your colleagues and mm -hmm. and I connected with you through Erica and, and I'm like, oh, wow, she's doing the sisterhood thing. Tell us about, you know, your breast cancer journey and sisterhood. How it was important, how you created sisterhood. Once again, in this lonely place where nobody looks like you, uh, one of the mm -hmm. things that you wrote that I really enjoyed, you said, well, you know, simple the little things like how i look in my favorite sorority shirt right it's like mm -hmm. simple things that people who look like yeah. you can be like yeah girl i get it right but the loneliness <laughs> without even just having those simple things but you mm -hmm. found sisterhood tell us about sisterhood mm -hmm. and your journey to sisterhood that's the part that i'm most excited about because i really don't think that you can get through an experience like this without community and you know, typically I'm a very quiet, private person. And, you know, growing up, we're told, um, don't be out there telling everybody my business. But I really felt like it was, oh, good. Yeah, I'm a Tiger Lily advocate. Yes, that is an amazing organization. Yeah. Um, I'm only share that. I'm sorry, I got distracted. Yes, they're amazing. Um, so, yeah, creating community is very important because I don't just, I don't know how anybody could get through an experience like this without ah, I'm so excited okay I'm sorry so <laughs> I don't know how anybody could get through um, an experience like this and not have somebody that understands that gets it to kind of forge the gap and bridge the gap and so um, I think I may have shared it with you early on when we talked was like you know in the beginning of it all I could only think about 
what I would lose, you know, you know, would I lose my, I'd lose my breast, you know, would I lose my femininity, femininity, you know, how different would I be and what people know and kind of what, how would that shift my story? Would it change my quality of life? Would I be able to run and jump? And, you know, so I can only think about those things. I can only think about the physical aspects of what I was doing. But man, when I tell you that everything I've gained has just been amazing. I've gained a sisterhood. Um, it's, you know, um, there, like uh, Renice was sharing, there's so many different organizations that are out here to support you. Um, Tiger Lily Foundation for the Breast of Us is another organization. I'm um, uh, part of the Breasties and I'm um, their um, director for diversity, equity and inclusion. As a matter of fact, we were just on GMA um, on Monday doing the first ever live self-breast exam. So it's, it's, there's power in community. There's nothing like it. Um, nothing can, um, nothing can, what's the word I'm thinking of? Nothing can take its place. Like, because when I'm talking to my friends that haven't had the surgeries that I had, you know, they can, you know, listen. But for me to tell them that I'm having a really bad day, A, B, and C, and this is why, Sometimes you don't even have to say the words if you're in community because they just get it. It's just a feeling. And so I'm grateful for that. It's opened up so many doors for me and it's taken me out of my comfort zone and it's given me a voice and my passion that I didn't even really know was possible because I want people when they're making a decision like I did, I want them to be able to see themselves represented. So you might not have the surgeries like I did. But you'll leave this conversation knowing maybe I should ask my daughter about my doctor about genetic testing. And to me, that's a win because if you have genetic testing, you know what the risks are, and then you can navigate your um, medical decisions and your health choices differently. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to convince anybody or talk to them into these surgeries. That's secondary because that's a personal and individual decision. You do what you want to do about those surgeries, but I am telling you, you need to ask your um, doctor to get you genetically tested. I am saying that. Awesome. Awesome. I am a fan of community. I'm a fan. You know, I, I remember once I was chatting with someone about community and they're like, well, Calvin, you know, you're doing this thing and you're building this business. Like you can do it by yourself. You don't need help. I'm like, yeah, but you realize I'm a community builder, right? And as a community builder, it means something different. And here at Southern Soul, we definitely believe in community. That's why we're here. Today, mm -hmm. we're talking about a serious topic, but we cover any topic that affects the black community. So as you talk about sisterhood and community, it just reminds me of the excitement when I'm talking to someone about the show and all of a sudden they get it, right? And they'd be like, oh, yeah. it's important because of this and because of that, and because of this yeah. and we need this and we need that. And, and, yeah. and then you get people who've been around since day two and they'd be like, huh, yeah, I guess that's okay. It's so, so, so different, right? when mm -hmm. people get it so kudos yes. to you and you know kudos to your journey how about this you know as we begin to wrap up and there's a few questions in the chat uh, i'm going to need your help to make it to kind of find those questions if they scrolled up but i want to hear from the audience feel free to type your questions in the chat but let's talk about what's next with you tamika is going to share your information um of how people can follow you on um i think she's going to share facebook and probably um instagram or something i don't know but um, let us know what's next for you, right? What's going on? You know, how can an audience support you, support your message, support your work? What's next for Dr. Goss? 
First, I just wanted to thank you all for the opportunity. You've been amazing and your team has been amazing. And I'm just grateful to be here with you all. Like I, I don't have like this large thing going on, right? My thing is I just want to get the message out about the importance of genetic testing because I know there's just an adage and we all say it, but knowledge is power. Knowing those numbers can make all the difference in the world. And that's all I'm really out here saying. I'm, I don't have anything to promote um, or anything. I just want everybody to know that it really can make a difference. Like when you were sharing the story about um, the WNBA player, I got so sad um, because, you know, I feel like the more we know, the more that we can really work to um, to to pass, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? When we know what those numbers are, we can work to get um, the type of screening and surveillance that we need, and we can make a proactive decision. Because if you're doing um, um, double mammograms a year, if you're genetically testing, you find that you have a higher probability of cancer. And if you're doing double mammograms a year, there's a, a, a increased likelihood that you may find the cancer early and it may be treatable. And so another thing I want to say is, again, I'll speak for Kelly. A lot of times we're doing a lot, the most, right? And we're taking care of everyone else, but we don't do the best job of taking care of ourselves. And so what I will say also is to just make sure that you're taking care of you and that you're not pouring from an empty cup. And one of the things that we were talking about earlier this week is to know your normal, know what normal looks like, poke, feel, prod, do yourself exams every month, do them at the same time each month so that you know if something's not right, you catch it early because that's going to make a difference. If you are able to catch the problem early, you're going to be able to make um, a more, um, a better decision about kind of what needs to be um, happen um, to make sure that you're here for your family, for your friends and for you. And so those are the two things, right? Uh, know your normal and get genetically tested if you can. Awesome, awesome. Now with your testing, um, and Tamika, let me know if you had some questions in the chat if um, if I missed anything. But one of the things you said about your um, screening is that you had a percentage. The mm -hmm. Do the various screenings come with different percentages or is it all the same? Like, they how do. does that work? Yeah, so, and it's not just because uh, um, um, normally people hear a lot about BRCA, but there are other genetic um, probabilities as well. And so, based on, they'll give you the percentage of each. And um, uh, because I have the BRCA gene mutation, you know, it generally um, affects um, breast and ovarian cancers. But there are, uh, um, you can get screened and they have genetic counselors that will walk you and talk you through everything that you need to be aware of everything that you need to take notice to and so i know that my insurance paid for that opportunity but a lot of people don't even know to ask just ask the question and it will likely only be um to be honest with you i don't want to misspeak because i don't even know the cost because again my insurance was thoughtful enough to pay it <laughs> but it's worth the ask um and just ask and then have a genetic counselor go over everything with you because there's more than just BRCA out there and um, it helps if you're informing, you know exactly what you need to be mindful of and so that you can do a better job of navigating your health journey. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Let's see if we go to the audience. Let's see. Um, just uh, some, I think it, Actually, 
Dr. Kelly was answering questions as mm-hmm. they were coming through. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there weren't so any. There, yeah. Okay, let's see. Bernita Clark had one. Yeah, Bernita's right too. Yep, that's another one. That's another gene mutation. Oh, do they really cost $3,500? <laughs> Thank God for this military insurance. Wow. So I'm going to read those for the recording is that, um, let's see, genetic testing is critical. And that's how she learned that she had, um, and I don't, PALB2 gene mutation. So it seemed like that's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a group of tests um, that came out what in 2010, I think, that was around um, 3,500. I think that's what that is, right? Wow, yeah. I didn't even realize that was the cost. That's that's yeah. pretty extensive. And, and Doris says, thank you. Any other questions from the audience? Well, awesome, awesome. Well, I would like to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Kelly, for sharing with us your experiences. And I mean, it's so important, right, to get the word out. It's so important to share that message. And representation matters. So we want to just thank you for representing, you know, and representing. And and I just love, um, you know, check out her um, website. Tamika, you can put that in the chat. But I, I enjoyed the blogs. And as I read through your blogs, I just enjoyed the little things, right? The little things that we as people don't even think about, the little things that we don't even whatever. But, you know, oh, you got to tell us that one story. I forgot to ask you that question. Mm-hmm. That story of inspiration, I sent a boat. Tell us about that. Um, I got a couple minutes because I'm waiting on my next speaker to come online. Um, but um, tell us about that story of, what is it called? I sent a boat for you. Mm-hmm. Tell us about mm-hmm. that story. I love that inspiration. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so it, um, it really goes back, ties back to um, what I was sharing with you all about um, having faith. And so the story is, it's been a minute since I've shared, but it, it, it you know, you know, God sends us different things and he'll send us those things and we will misstep them. We'll be like, oh, that's not it. That's not God. And he'll send something else. Oh, that's not it. I don't see God in that. And we'll keep on missing it. And so the, um, the story is about the story of the sailboat and well, God keeps on sending things and he sends a boat, but we miss it because we don't think that it's God. And so that's really how I looked at it is because, because had it not been for the nurse practitioner's persistence, I likely could have been like my mother and my sister. And so I sent you a boat. So it might not Faith comes in many different ways. And so it may it may not be faith that I was healed from cancer, but it's the faith that I put in the hands of the doctors to make sure that I got to the other side. And today I'm happy, healed, whole, healthy. I'm able to love on my family and they're able to love on me. And I can't be mad or sad about that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Kelly. I'm gonna play a little music and give us an intermission. Um, our next speaker is actually running, uh, probably having technical difficulties, so we're going to try to find her. But in the meantime, I'm just going to play a little music and reflect. I am so thankful for Dr. Kelly sharing her message because just last week we were talking about the concept of making family history and understanding the new norm. And it was such a good conversation because the good doctor 
not only retired from 30 years of vascular surgeon, but he made a statement and he would often say, I get a new patient and I can look at them and I'd say, if I look at your parents, I can tell you what your health is going to be. And his goal and his hope is that we begin to do exactly what Kelly has done. Understanding not only her own health, but her mother's health and her sister's health so that she can make the decision appropriate for her. But the challenge was, well, how do we make this the standard? How do we make sure that we have more people like Kelly who are essentially aware and making that decision? As she told her story, all I could think about is how lonely that experience had been. If you've ever been a pioneer, if you've ever been a person that just kind of steps out there and kind of do things first, you may know what it felt like. But in this case, no words. So I want to thank you guys for hanging out tonight and, you know, really participating in what we call Southern Soul. But I want to let you guys know about next week's next week's show. And about once a year, we do a church, a show on church. Next week's topic is when church is not enough. We're going to have a couple speakers who are going to be thinking about the concept of what happens when you run into crazy relationships, unique health concerns, mental health, trauma, tragedy, in some kind of way you feel like church is not enough. We're actually going to have a pastor to be one of our speakers. And the other person is going to be a previous first lady. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.